Welcome to Prawn Talk. I'm Malcolm Prawn Prawnson. And I'm Prawn Fitz Prawn. Very well said. Welcome to our rock pool. We we get all of our uh, conversation topics from Prawn Hub. Our, our little uh, rock pool side thingamabob sort of device. That is where we're getting our topic of discussion this week. So I'm going to press the button. Okay, it's now generating a subject. Are you ready? The subject today is 90s TV comedies. There we go. Okay. What what comes in what comes into your head straight away? Friends, probably. Friends. Yeah. No, Friends. seriously. Because if there's one sitcom that most exemplifies the 90s as a decade, it's arguably the most popular, isn't it? Which was Friends. Mhm. I just think it's the best. And much like the 90s, it was prohibitively sexist. It was it was um, lots of weird homophobia throughout as well. Like that weird homophobic trope of guys falling asleep on one another and then waking up and going like, like jumping off of one another, like, and then just leaping around going, no, who knew? There was lots of that. Just like, there was a whole episode devoted to like how Joey and Ross napped particularly well when they hugged one another. And, like, the massive amount of weird gay panic that ensued from that, like, fueled the entirety of a half-hour sitcom. I mean, that was basically Zach Braff's entire character, especially towards the end of Scrubs, where he's just like, oh, I'm terribly camp, but I couldn't possibly be gay because... Do you know what I mean? Uh, it was really toxic, that whole thing. But anyway, as, but as prawns, we are, uh, we are prawn sexual, so... Yeah. <laughs> Wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, I can go with that. Yeah, I don't know how prawns procreate. I haven't done the research of my own species. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, and you're quite an old prawn at this point. I am. So you thought you would have googled it at some point. I'm in the prawnopause. Menopause. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the menoprawn. Menoprawn. We are menoprawn. <laughs> That feels like was that a nineties late night game show? Men, men oh prawn. <laughs> it's like it's a knockout. Men dressed in enormous foam prawn outfits, running at one another at high speed. Well, I would have welcomed that because at last we'd get some representation. You know what I'm talking about? There is precious little prawn representation, really. <laughs> so, with nineties TV comedies, obviously you've gone straight in for Friends. There, I think, given the. You know, we are British prawns. I think it seems a bit sad that that's our first feeling about 90s comedy, you know, given the amount of very good British comedy there was in the in the 1990s. Yeah, there was good British comedy in the 1990s. But, I mean, if you were to sort of put me on the spot as you did and say what to you makes you immediately think of comedy in the 90s, it would be Friends. Not to say that that's the best comedy from the 90s, not even in the top probably 100 comedies from the 90s. I mean, best comedy no. from the 90s, you got Father Ted. That was a yep. comedy from the 90s. Got, what else have you got? Alan, Alan Partridge. Partridge. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but kind of like quite, well, it was like 97 to 2002, wasn't it? So it's to me, it's not like a, I would say probably like knowing me, knowing you is probably a bit more 90s, isn't it? Like if you saw... Yeah, or like... The day-to-day yeah. brass eye, the whole Chris Morris phenomenon is very... That's very 1990s. Personal favourites. I mean, we've always, as prawns, and since we were prawnlings, which are young prawns, 
because it's like the George Lucas thing, you just add Ling on the end, and that just it, suddenly it's a young thing. So as Prawnlings, yeah. we watched a lot of Red Dwarf. Mm-hmm. Very I mean, that's, again, that's that that kind of straddles yeah, the nineties, but, but I'd it say it definitely hit its stride, wasn't it? Because although it started in eighty-seven, mm-hmm. like arguably the first two series are a bit weird. Like they're kind of it's not quite there. I think it's got this way more desolate feeling it's way more heavy on the sci-fi plot lines mm. and like less so on the comedies there's a lot more pathos in it as well are these characters actually good or bad people and things like that and it's it hasn't really found its feet as an actual sitcom really at that point yeah weirdly enough i think 90s red dwarf is very like you know if we're talking like the the bet the better series like three four five and six the core of where it's really good the the hit rate of jokes is much higher but as a sci-fi show i think one and two are really underrated really because they're very they've got these mad high concepts and my favorite episode is actually thanks for the memory i think which is series two because that's just and you've also got Queeg. that's i think series two has got like these wild high concepts like better than life it was um it was the initial couple of series were kind of modeled around i really want to say cool runnings but it's not cool runnings because that's about jamaican bobsleigh team but that silent silent running silent running the initial couple of series were heavily based around the idea of silent running cool runnings what are you talking about Cool Runnings is like 95 as well, so it somehow travelled back through time. The Jamaican Bob Slay team went so fast, they travelled back in yeah. time on their bobsleighs and influence. It's it's Silent Running and Alien, definitely, are like the yeah. two things which... It's like truckers in space, yeah. basically. Like it's washed out, faded people, hippies, like all banging around in an old spacecraft. Like, and that, that's the first two series. Mm-hmm. Raw is way more about the human condition. And oddly enough, I was going to bring this point up earlier, everyone went really ha- like hard on season seven or series seven when it followed more of a dramedy angle. But the first two series mm. kind of are dramedy. Like, I mean, yeah. series seven is good because series seven is shite. But, like, mm-hmm. it, it was weird that everyone particularly picked on the fact that it had gone really dramatic when the first two series had a, quite a lot of drama and pathos in it. It's only from, like, mm. series three that it started becoming quite irreverent and, like, consequences didn't really carry through to each episode. Whereas, like, with series one and two, like, it's kind of... It does do that a lot. Like, it's there's continual themes of isolation and loneliness that they didn't really touch on again for most of, like, three to, to, through to, like, six. They're very different. Very, very different. They feel more Doug Naylor. Yes. Like, Doug Naylor's subsequent stuff feels more... I don't know if that makes sense, but they kind of feel like that in a way. Like, they're less... Yeah, his, his, his stuff is always a bit more... Like, him at his most excessive, I think, as a as a writer as like a showrunner is where it's kind of more emotional and i think he he's always trying to get that in with the atrocious back to earth which is not 90s so but that's definitely shouldn't. the the lowest and, and if that's a reason not to talk about it then we shouldn't but it's that thing where you can you can sense he's kind of especially series seven where he's getting kachansky back in in a really strange way and i think he's trying to he's really trying to go for yeah like pathos like like it's sad like maybe one of the best episodes of series seven and there aren't a lot to pick from really but there was one was it duck soup where they're stuck in the ducks because that's more of a kind of character study in the kind of marooned way but that's that's kind of sad there's a kind of loneliness to that as well and whereas i think 
in Marooned, you do you do have that vibe. It's the the, the hit rate's a lot stronger. It's just funny. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's hilarious as well. That is a fantastic rewatch, Maroon. Like that's Maroon is great. And uh, uh, well, the thing is, why Red Dwarf worked, and it still works, even though you know, I, it's one of those things where I was like such a big fan of it as a kid that this is genuinely true. That there was a letter sent home to my prawn parents from <laughs> that uh, that I was watching too much of it, and they were like, "Get him away from the prawn hub," but uh, they couldn't because I'd stapled my tail to it. And how did you? prawn teachers see this obsession manifest then did you just like because i was there but i don't really remember your obsession with i mean you said smeg a lot like to a worrying degree it's because every every assignment that we were given any any essay we were asked to write or story we were asked to write i would do it about red dwarf so i think their suggestion was that i should watch something else <laughs> i think that's but i was gonna say the 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 thing that we're, what I'm saying is yes it was something that was like a major part of my life when I was a kid but at the same time I think it stands up really well because any good anything that's a narrative it's the characters are so good and I recently had a Mexican lobster visiting the rock pool you were away that weekend down the shore I showed the Mexican lobster an episode of Red Dwarf I think it was quarantine because I thought that's going to be a good in and it, it it definitely speaks to the fact that you know you can immediately get who the characters are the four of them are really defined characters so it's what makes it work so well and it and it still stands up really well because it, because they are such defined characters even just the dynamic like in the in the last one promised land the tension or the dynamic tension between rimmer and lister is still there and i think that's a testament to the fact not just the actors you know but it's a testament to the fact that as characters they they really work and they, yeah. the fact that they age and they've been through all these different situations and they still work is a is a great testament to even though it's been very ropey since rob grant left there's definitely still a testament to the, the characters are still so, so strong even now they still lived in they feel like lived in roles because i suppose they've been doing it since 87 that's the entirety of my prawn life and your prawn life yes as well playing these same roles they just live within the skins of these characters whenever they speak like it just they are the characters again i mean chris barry i think can be a little bit i mean he famously wanted to distance himself from the role probably more than the other cast members and i think sometimes he kind of feels like he's not he's kind of phoning it in a bit craig charles is 100 yeah. percent lister in my eyes he's definitely he's definitely become a better actor but but yes we should move on to another thing other 90s comedy well I, we touched upon it but the anything chris morris is good from the day-to-day through to um, Brass Eye at the end. So the two things. Like <laughs> He has strong perfectionist tendencies, by all accounts. Mm. He hasn't actually produced a huge amount of things since the 90s. I mean, he's done two films in the span of about seven, eight years, purely because he's invested himself so heavily in researching for them. Like for Four Lions, he like did crazy amounts of research on like jihadists in the uk and then for his most recent film the name of which escapes me the day shall come spent insane research on that as well so like his creative output has been quite slow since then which kind of it makes it quite nice because when something pops up which is chris morris related now i'm just like Ooh. he directed a few episodes of veep i'll say that that was a surprise which i was i wasn't expecting like i'd see i'd watch them and you'd be like oh chris Moore. <laughs> but um the other, the other output's got to be Armando, because obviously he wrote on the day-to-day. He wrote everything Partridge until 
I think until you know last decade he was writing most Partridge stuff. He was still he still I think he did the film as well, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, I mean he what was the Amanda Inucci shows? That was post nineties, wasn't it? I think that was two thousand and one or the Millennium. That's excellent and nobody's watched that. That is amazing. If you yeah, if you if you've got any kind of inkling for uh, that kind of bleak surrealism <laughs> then the Amanda Inucci shows is perfect I remember watching it on TV even and that was that and like Nathan Barley and you were just like I really didn't understand Nathan Barley the first time I watched it at all like I really had no idea what it even was the first time I saw it or who it was parodying or whether it was even really a comedy like the first time I saw it I was completely and totally baffled by it uh, we're not talking about Nathan Barley anyway because that's a 2000s show so we'll go back on topic to 90s comedy other 90s things Marion and her Mary men oh yeah 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 yeah. recently or a continuation on netflix tony robinson is in negotiations i met sir tony or little t as i call him which he was quite happy to be known by in glastonbury he was standing outside a cafe and what were you a prawn doing in glastonbury i was on holiday that heathenous place they have rock pools there yeah they do Do that yeah well not rock pools so much as puddles but they have puddles, and and you hopped. I hopped through the puddles up the high street, puddle by puddle. I made my way to Glastonbury. It was a long and arduous journey, but it is a pilgrimage site, so it made sense to have a long and arduous journey there. Anyway, I waited in a. Puddle. That's why you were gone for those several months. <laughs> why I was, it was actually it was about six years, and yeah. why I was gone for those six years, I heard that Little T would be in a cafe, uh, and he actually he was there for six years in the cafe. Uh, really nursing that coffee like I, times are hard and I think he was really trying to make yeah. most of that coffee so like he had nothing to do after time team did he nothing nothing no more blackadder coming up or anything so he was really nursing that coffee so I waited outside and I kid you not I was there with a fellow crustacean I think he was a mollusk actually I, I, in hindsight a mollusk of some variety and uh, the mollusk was so excited to see little T that he actually physically pushed his little girl out of the way just to get closer to little T who came out and um and I said to him ah I remember you as the sheriff of Nottingham he said you remembered me as the sheriff of Nottingham I said yeah I used to love that show in my experience humans tend to react there's normally like a questioning period where they're looking at you and they're thinking, is this prawn talking yeah. to me? Right, so there was that thing, isn't there, where they're like, am I going mad? And you're like, yes, maybe. The terror that came with knowing that you're not the only sentient life on Earth and that the other form yeah, the- of life is something you've probably eaten num- on numerous occasions. Although I think actually look yeah. vegetarian. So he probably would have had a greater appreciation for my sentience. But anyway, after a period of bafflement and confusion, we had our little discourse on Maid Marian and her merry men. And I like to think, that on that very day in Glastonbury, I planted the seed for the resurrection of that great show just through my appreciation. That's, uh, you know, I can't cite that, or, and I, I'm pretty sure that isn't actually reality, but I like to think that anyway in this post-truth era. I think there's there's another truth there, and that is Netflix will buy literally any license yep. it possibly can. I don't think they even necessarily it. use a lot of the licenses they buy. No. I think they just snap them up cheap just on the off chance that it suddenly comes back into fashion again in the future because they've just got the cash. And uh, Little T again, no time team at the moment. Anyway, 90s comedy, I was going to say, and I don't know why this just occurred to me, 
But Bill Bailey had a weird series. Do you remember that? 1998. He had a series called Is It Bill Bailey? No, it was around the time there was a show called The Asylum as well. So this is just... So underrated. That was proto-spaced um, kind of yeah. stuff. Because the first series of Space does count. That's 99, I think. Yeah. And uh, Asylum, uh, for anyone who wants to check that out, kind of a sitcom, kind of a sketch show. Lots of people who then made it really big. Directed by Edgar Wright, featuring Simon Pegg, Julian Barrett was in it as well, like pre-Mighty Boosh. Uh, Norman Lovett, linking back to Red Dwarf again, gave literally the best intro to every single episode. And he told what's probably my favorite joke ever, which I will tell badly now, uh, which is they say no man is an island except when he's having a bath, which I just think is so funny. And Norman Lovett's delivery of it. It's so incredibly deadpan as everything he says is. Like, it's really good. And it's it's got that um, ever so slightly Young Ones-esque thing in that they have a house band. So it's a di- it's not a different band every episode like the Young Ones, but it is, they have, a, they have music played every single episode, a whole song played. But um, regardless, that's a sitcom that's actually worth checking out. Oh, and one last detail on Asylum. I realise this is a very sketchy, abstract way of describing something, um, but details are kind of coming back as i'm speaking is they also had the comedians showcasing uh stand-up in every episode so they do a little bit of stand-up like a little bit of their routine and they the concept was that they were all inmates or um detainees i guess probably in this asylum and that they all had an opportunity within their own cells to do their own little bit of stand-up um so it was kind of like a 90s alternative comedy showcase in a way and alternative music showcase in the structure of a sitcom which was directed by people who would then go on to be really really big in british comedy so it's very 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 important but it's worth checking out for sure that's that weird period where you have um because simon pegg is i think simon pegg weirdly is kind of weaved throughout a lot of that kind of late 90s british comedy where you've got starting with he shows up in the first series of i'm alan partridge which is 97 he's doing asylum he's on tour with steve coogan as well with um i think possibly sally phillips or maybe one or maybe julia davis and then that then feeds into things like 99 and obviously then there's a lot of kind of very experimental kind of comedy going on then because so bill bailey had bill bailey didn't then take off as a standoff till about 2004 but he had a series in 98 called is it bill bailey that's just this i haven't seen it for years it's like him and his mate Martin Treneman, who used to be in... The, they were called something like the Ten Bishops or something, and they were like a, a comedy group that went up. They did the Fringe and things like that in the 80s. And I think... So this series was just sort of his... Things that did go into his stand-up, and it was like... It's just kind of odd musings and like, ooh, isn't this odd? You know, things like that. So I don't know... That's an odd one. I haven't seen that for years, but that was... So that, again, that, that kind of has that Armando Nietzsche, like there's no studio audience. It's kind of these odd, interconnected semi-sketch show thing i mean 90s was the era of the sketch show we should say that because you had not the nine o'clock news in the 80s but then in the 90s was things like the far show that's the big 90s thing we didn't say yeah and bottom as well that's another fuck me we're fucking (laughs) we're uncovering it all now i love bottom so much yeah like bottom i think is one of my favorite sitcoms of all time i think it's like waiting for godot it was just this it's like genuinely very theatrical and often it was very you know that's why them corpsing on stage and stuff was such a big part of it way before mrs brown's boys did it and made it a big old fucking bollocksy thing i mean it's rick mail and aid edmondson basically going head to head and so it's like a very intense character piece thing 
with them just being basically the worst people alive <laughs> you know just bottom of the barrel pervert scum and i just i remember recommending it to someone recently and being like look what you have to understand is these people aren't nice you know? <laughs> yeah well that's exactly how i recommend it's always sunny in philadelphia that's exactly how you recommend it. You just say these people are terrible people. You would never want to know them, but watching them be terrible people is really entertaining. American and, Bottom. Yeah, no, Bottom is amazing. It's, it's kind of a weird continuation of The Young Ones, really, because it's almost like if you stripped... Yeah, because I should also say, obviously, for anyone who hasn't seen either show, it's some of the same creative people, but not all of them. So, obviously, no Ben Elton involved on Bottom. But you've got Rick and Age continuing effectively the same characters really just with changed names i mean like aid edmondson's character loses the anarchist aspect but he's still basically like it's the same character he plays him in uh, the young ones but it's like if you stripped away all of the coolness all of the politics everything that made it a very very 80s show and literally stripped it down to its most base elements and i do mean base elements because it's literally just like bums are funny I'm Bums Funny Rick. And then he's like, Oh, Eddie, you'll never understand Bums. And then that's just... And that's basically... And then they just hit each other. It's just brilliant at doing that. And any other show that attempted to do that without those two creatives in it would no, undoubtedly just be crap. Yeah. Like, it's only good because, yeah, it's only really good because of the people that are in it. Like, there's nothing... The writing is, like, seaside postcard-like... Well- um, I th- puns on I think willies and butt. I would say I would say that's kind of like the that's almost like the crust of it. That's the thing you see, yeah. but underneath it is genuinely like a very good. It's a very good bit of theatrical character stuff because they're basically Richie's got that like yearning, and Eddie's just like this manic ball of violence. And I just love like so many episodes are defined by by kind of Rick Mail kind of going I want to hear your Rick Mail impression compared to Mike Prawn's doing Rick Mail impression but no it's, it's just him going like oh you know I'm not doing an impression Please of it try I'm it not. because I I'm not I can do Eddie oh come on I did well, I... him what is it oh, the, the one where they're stuck on the Ferris wheel and he hands him a drink and and, and uh, Rick goes what's in it and then he lists like Uzo, Perno Lighter Fluid you know like lists all this thing and, and he goes how are you alive? And he goes, I may very well not be. And I always thought, I was just off. Or uh, what's the other one I was quite, the, um... I'm a love albatross. <laughs> but anyway, essentially, it's brilliant. And just talking about it is making me want to watch it again because there's so much enjoyment to be had from watching people at the bottom of the barrel um, just being terrible to one another for like half an hour. Should we talk briefly about the far show then since we're doing... Right. Yeah. Yeah, well. a lot again at the moment though there was a guardian piece on it like last Do, week have you, you you're getting that delivered to the rock pool are you yeah well i don't get it delivered to the rock pool i get it dropped at the top of the beach and then i make my way up the beach to get it no postman is going to make his way down a beach he leaves it outside the corner shop which just neighbors the beach and i go up to get that and bring it down and then i have to bring it back again so the humans can read it afterwards because if they knew prawns were taking their newspaper well there'd be consequences this upsets me right and i wish you'd brought it up before because i have been trying to get delivery down the beach for what feels like fucking months and you're telling me that you just saunter up there yeah well that makes get the guardian like i mean you no postman is going to make the way down a beach and we don't have a postcode because we're in a rock pool 
I was just typing Rockpool and hoping for the best. Because you look, because you read things on the internet about in Ireland, like oh, so and so writes Jerry in the village, and they get the fucking post. I was just hoping that I would write Rockpool, right, on the app, and they'd know which one I meant, and I'd get my fucking chicken. <laughs> Mail order chicken. <laughs> Fronzy chicken. Fronzy anything. I mean, like I'm pretty sure that prawns because they're like they eat i think and i i could be wrong but i am a prawn so i should know just, well you haven't even looked up how how you have sex yet no and i feel like i should have really done that before the prawn pools set in because i really missed my chances now my eggs are all dried up and i don't i know have eggs even. If, i may have if a- you think about now i'm not it's it's not fair to make this kind of assessment this value assessment on your decisions right that's not fair of me to do but at the same time you've told me you've spent six years getting to glastonbury jumping puddle to puddle to meet mr t mr t from from blackadder are they not the same person oddly enough they're not no mr t did not regularly go on digs with phil harding he would have loved that we've got here like we've we started the dig and i pity the fool who starts the dig early (laughs) well to be fair Phil Harding did, did always say, I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> but he, instead of chewing on a cigar, he'd just chew the corner of his like raggedy hat. Mick would just say, <laughs> Madman Mick. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the face? This is the best crossover that never happened. Without <laughs> you know, like the Marvel DC Amalgam universe? I think we just created that with Time Team and like... The A-Team. It works! The A-Team! Oh, the Time Team! That's completely unintentional. The A-Time Team. There it is. That works so well, it just, it almost doesn't work. <laughs> I ain't getting on no cream, mother. <laughs> I, I ain't getting in no trench, fool. <laughs> anyway, The Far Show. I think the, the odd thing about The Far Show, right? We try and move this on. So, The Far Show is kind of... Not all of it's great. And if you want a good, I think if you want a more consistent 90s sketch show, you've got to go for Big Train. The first series of that is about 98, 99. I think a lower percentage. I think that's still got not any iffy moments in the way that the Fast Show has, but more just kind of like surreal blandness. Like there are some amazing, don't get me wrong, there are some amazing Big Train sketches, but there's equal amounts. And it's a bit like that Mitchell and Webb look in that there's the equal amounts of kind of not really that great and memorable but kind of okay the fast show i think is pretty consistent in that mitchell and webb look right there was that weird sketch where they even go like oh you know most sketch shows are okay sketches and and like very good sketches why can't we all just be very good sketches and robert webb was like oh because you've got to have the patchwork and it's that weird it's that weird acknowledgement that it's a bit scattershot the format is scattershot so i think with the far show it's it was the it was i mean it was a big phenomenon in the 90s because it was i guess it was the first like rapid fire sketch show like that and it was very and it had like loads of very 90s phenomena in it so there's loads of 90s observation about like rave culture and blokeism and you know gill power and you know all of that kind of awkward i feel like it's dated pretty brutally actually more so than a lot of things from the 90s have you know if you watch something like most things in the 90s have that odd dated feel to them but like 
I feel like the far show is dead because it because it was it was just going for any it was just shooting wildly. So there was they aimed some for rapidity. They wanted things that were really like the whole concept of it is throw everything at it, like just endless. That's why the sketches are so short and concise. And like there's a, they just literally were just mm. lots of they I don't think they were that concerned about like the legacy of the comedy, like that it would be watched like decades on or anything. I think they just wanted to get out a quick, funny segment of sketches to be honest uh, in terms of like peak sketches then which ones have aged particularly well because ted and ralph has aged quite well i think because it's just a it's the only one that's continual really it's actually just one long narrative that feeds through every single sketch and it's arthur matthews and graham lenahan of course mm. and like it just feeds through sketch by sketch by sketch this kind of continuing story of this <laughs> unrequited love and lust that these two characters have for one another, which can never be realised because of basically because of class and not just sexuality, but also mainly class more than anything else. And it just has this incredibly gentle feel to it. That all the characters are basically just generally lovely to one another throughout, but they just can't can't be together. Like all of Ted's friends are really accepting generally of Ralph because Ted stands up for him and stuff, and it's. Oh, they're just lovely sketches, those. They're really, really funny as well. In a really kind of depressing way, because <laughs> they can never be together. But uh, Ted and Ralph has aged really, really well, I, th I think. Uh, fat, sweaty coppers I love. Literally just two <laughs> really fat policemen, <laughs> just like in a kind of Sweeney-esque setup, just having to solve crimes. And the sole joke is just that they're really overweight, so they just can't get, ever get anything done. And that should have... That shouldn't be funny, but as with Bottom, it just kind of is intrinsically funny watching two men in really big fat suits just sweating. It's, it's odd because, it, like you said, because it's this scattershot thing. So, like, some things really hit you some years. Like, sketches I thought were really hilarious when I was a kid were things like Paul Whitehouse's old man who just says bugger, which isn't that funny, really. It, it can be, but like it can I'd be. I've forgotten about that. That's amazing. I mean, that's again, that's a full-on dramedy because it's it's his name's Alf, I think, and literally just, a, just yeah. terrible things just happen to him. And like his whole ceiling falling in on him and things like that. Awful things happening to him all the time. He turns to the camera and says, "Oh, bugger!" And that's the small joke, and it's just so well executed. All right, maybe a bad example then, but I guess, I guess, I, I, or like, does my bum look big in this? Uh, some things, right they just don't work some things i always think are really funny like there's that the middle class one what was it where they're arguing about who's more middle class and it just gets it yeah. reaches this frantic point and mark williams is kind of in the middle watching them like fight over who's more middle class and then he just he just goes well i'm secretly gay like that and then he goes i'll get me coat and i love how the i'll get me coat man always hijacks other sketches as a way to kind of introduce a punchline. That's very Python, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, I really like that. And also the um, should we go get a pint? Or the, is it the one where Paul Whitehouse just plays a guy that's like, should we go and get a pint? And it's just kind of a, like, should we just give up? And I love. Do you remember this one where it's like um, Nick Park animator one where he's like, yes, and he's like, just a little bit, just move it a little bit, and just a tiny amount. By just a tiny amount. He's just really painstakingly doing this, what feels like forever. And then the character that he's with that just kind of gestures to the camera and just mouths like, should we go get a pint? <laughs> just like, and then he just cuts away. I really <laughs> like, there was one where there's, there, it's like a tally-ho, like, war film, and they're on, like, the beaches, and they're, do you remember that one? And he's like, we're going to go at the beaches. It appeals to me because we live on a beach, but yeah. it's that, it, 
he's going up the beach and the guy's like right you go in there grab the guy kill the sniper blah blah and then they just go fuck off and they're like should we go get a pint i just love that it's like i think that that was the that was the value of the far show sometimes they'd go they'd come in with something very straight and then they'd immediately subvert it i thought that that kind of stuff works really well all the channel nine stuff i think is isn't it's not that funny on rewatch it felt really funny as kids because you could just quote it and say Scorchio and they're like out of seemingly incongruous references to like C-list celebrities throughout and like sports players like in place of foreign words is quite funny just like how they just suddenly be like Gary Lineker blah 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 blah. and like I don't think it was Gary Lineker but just I couldn't think of any 90s sports stars but like that seemed very funny but now when I rewatch it I just don't think it's that funny yeah i think because it, it was essentially it's mocking like strange european television you'd see when you're on holiday yeah. and i feel like the more the more kind of homogenous like television like every television just sort of looks the same now and i feel like that kind of very specific observation isn't really pertinent anymore and and it goes and it tends to go on a bit too long as well we're past that as a culture now because access to things like youtube means that we commonly see strange television from other countries all the time and it doesn't really look like strange television because as you said it's generally pretty homogenized and it kind of all looks like cnn now it just all looks like normal news stations just in a different language and we're so accustomed to having the entire world of news at our fingertips that seeing something like that now just wouldn't be that weird like so it doesn't really it's one of those where technology and like cultural changes like outpace the sketch so it's just not that funny anymore uh, which is kind of the case with most of the fast show because as you said paul whitehouse's brilliant character is just making observations on 90s phenomena constantly and bearing my right bearing in mind that we uh, we're probably going to wrap up very shortly uh, and i was about to say to myself you know oh, i'm sure there's something that we've forgotten that's massive uh, vic and bob do you know what i mean uh- yeah. <laughs> all of Vic and Bob well anything pertaining to Vic and Bob from the 90s is good Yeah, yeah. I think I could probably class the very little scene and certainly little loved Randall and Hopkirk deceased remake as well which I have very strong soft spot for that's got that's got a lot of far show people on it as well it does yeah it's it's, it's Charlie Higson's but it's Charlie Higson wrote a lot of it didn't yeah, he wrote and directed most of it and that's really good uh, and no one ever talks. Well, it's not really good, actually. It's actually mostly quite pants, but it's. I like it anyway. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that's. I mean, that's endearingly dated. But visually, it's stunning, sort of. But also, <laughs> <laughs> I like all these immediate caveats. Like, like you know what? It's like legendary piece of television. Well, it's not. It's awful. But and I feel like most British television can be something like. Now, I think if if you're going to go in for Vic and Bob, anything, they start with just a tiny potted history of Vic and Bob. They start off doing shows in pubs where Vic is pretending to be like a light entertainer who's introducing like novelty acts. And he's kind of, so it's kind of got that, what, what other people define Python, that greasy seaside Butlin's quality to it. But there's, but it's just extreme dada surrealism, but kind of dressed up as variety comedy. Um, and they do that big night out and that's Vic Reeves big night out. And that's what was on channel four. And I think that had two series. And then they move to the BBC and they get um, the smell of Reeves and Mortimer, which is probably is for me where you should go if you're if you're investigating them, because it's them. It's basically they've been given they've been given a budget to do a BBC comedy and they've got like a stage and there's an audience. But it's just there's like no structure to it. Well, they have a song 
at the beginning and end and then they just sort of have strange rambling surreal sides and I, and I think for for me the kind of breathlessly joyful thing with Vic and Bob is that they are, to this day they only do what makes them laugh and they only do what makes them happy and it's even if it makes no sense at all so like especially in uh, Bang Bang which came I think end of the 90s if not the beginning of the noughties oh weird that gets really odd they start like that period of them which i know is not 90s but the you know they're doing cataract they do bang bang and they do cataract and they're both so weird and i just feel like cataract and how amazing cataract is alone well cataract's a whole show within of itself i think yeah. it's just cataract's my number one it's always the first thing you buy someone isn't it you like but you have cataract then we'll talk. Before I engage you in conversation, bus driver, here's a copy of Cataract. <laughs> I've given out so many copies. <laughs> I'm always carrying one around with me, which is difficult because I'm a prawn. <laughs> so I've always got to be like dragging this big sack, burlap sack full of DVDs. One alone is roughly a hundred times my size. So, I mean, lugging them up to Glastonbury as I did puddle by puddle <laughs> giving them out flinging them out into hedgerows as you went I still feel like we're missing one like did the League of Gentlemen start in the 90s I think that did I think it's more of a naughty show to be honest it just has more of a naughty sensibility like as a yes. <laughs> definitely not a contemporary one <laughs> no it's not but also it doesn't feel very 90s either to me no. it just it feels more of like 2000, 2001. I think it started in 1999. They were certainly doing their show on the radio in the 90s, but I, to me, it's more noughties than... I still have this real nagging feeling that we've forgotten something really major. But we'll leave it there. This is, this is the format of the show. So we'll wrap up now. Thanks for joining us on our rock pool. And, uh, we'll turn to lead out with the song this time. Okay, well, let me, we'll do the outro, outro. So I've been... Malcolm Prawn Prawnson. And I'm Prawn Fitz Prawn. Okay, so we'll have a song to lead us out. The song is going to go... Oh, we're two prawns living in a rock pool. This has got a slight, like, Rockhampton vibe. We're two prawns living in a rock pool. We're both looking at films through the prawn hub. And we're thinking, oftentimes we're not. But, um, <laughs> but thanks for joining us. You can follow us on... Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're called Prawn Talk. There's no underscores, no nothing. If you want to suggest things for us to talk about and we'll put it into the machine or we might just disregard it, uh, please do, please suggest something. Do suggest something. We will likely disregard it. If you have any questions about our lifestyles as prawns, you know, what we do from dawn till dusk. Oh, and please tell me how prawns reproduce. On On the back of a blank postcard <laughs> to prawns at the rock pool <laughs> uh, just remember leave it at the top of the beach I will go and collect it with my copy of the card <laughs> I just love this image of just someone just like, just like a prawn like scuttling I, I just really fucking hope nobody does that because guys you've got to stay safe you shouldn't be out dropping off mail for prawns yeah I mean do check your local restrictions with regards to what you can and can't take to prawns. But thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you again next time. And hear from our sponsor. What's our sponsors this week? Uh, Our sponsor this week is Johnny's Dog Food. Dog food for Johnny.